This is Knowing Truth with Pastor Scott, a podcast devoted to God's Word and how to apply its truths to everyday life. Let's get into this lesson and see what the Word of God has to say. Yeah, I, I believe that Christ's suffering uh, and the demonstration of the kind of, um, of physiologic stress that his human body was under uh, is manifested in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it's described that he was sweating blood. And there are there is a well-documented uh, medical condition in which patients who are under tremendous amount of uh, emotional stress and physiological stress can, in fact, uh, sweat blood because little blood vessels within the glands burst and, the, and then the blood is expressed. The, the, the scourge involved the use of a, a short whip with pieces of uh, typically metal, sometimes bone, sometimes pieces of porcelain wrapped in these leather straps, which is then utilized to, to come across uh, typically the back, the shoulders, the legs of the victim. Uh, and uh, the first few passes across a particular body part would tear through the skin, the fat, uh, but eventually, once the outer layers were, were uh, torn away, it would start getting in the muscle and the tendon. And of course, along the way, you're ripping through all the blood vessels that supply all those tissues. And so you're losing blood the whole time. The plant that was described um, uh, actually had a very long thorn, um, not the little thorns that we would think from a rose bush. These were thorns that were uh, typically an inch and a half to two inches in length. The scalp is one of the most vascular portions of our body. It's got a huge blood supply up there. So then having those thorns shoved down into the, you know, down onto the bony plate would have gone through all the scalp which in and of itself would have created a huge amount of blood loss. Uh, I've seen people actually bleed to death from just a scalp injury. So uh, this is not a small injury to have, uh, who knows, dozens uh, of these things shoved into your scalp. And so that would have caused more blood loss. Typically when a victim has to uh, uh, carry the cross, what has been described uh, in the literature, in, in actual Roman literature, is they, they describe, the, they, they, they carry the crossbar. Uh, and the crossbar is estimated alone, was estimated to weigh about 110 pounds. And of course, if your arms are stuck out here, wrapped up on the cross crossbar, and you fall down, you need help getting up. You, you, you just can't get up on your own because there's no possible way without your arms to get up. So he would have needed help getting up. If he, fall, if he fell over, there's a good chance that he could have hit his chest, which, which then could account for the possibility of a cardiac injury. Anatomically, we consider the wrists as part of the hand. And so uh, with the placement of the nails between the radius and the ulna, at that position, it, it still fits, fits the definition of being in the hand and it's in a position in which the nail won't rip out, which you have to have, you have to have a solid point of fixation. Uh, another interesting point about the placement of that is the median nerve goes right straight through that particular uh, 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 portion of the wrist. And so there would have been uh, either destruction of the nerve or, or impingement of the nerve that would have created 
tremendous amount of pain so that every time you try to take a breath, you'd be, it'd be agonizing. You'd be pushing down on spiked feet, which of course hurt, and then you'd be hanging on spiked arms. And so you alternate from excruciating pain to excruciating pain every time you take a breath. So, so even if he survives the actual crucifixion, he would have had to survive what I believe to be a, a, a lethal injury from the spear just to find out whether he was alive or not. What's described is the loss of water and blood, and that would entail either the, the uh, uh, either pleural effusion or pericardial fusion, and the blood would have come from either pulmonary artery, a pulmonary vein, the aorta or vena cava, or the heart itself. None of those injuries, unless you're treated immediately by a trauma surgeon like myself, with all the advanced equipment that we have, would be survivable after even a few minutes. Christ, as the Son of God, could have survived anything. He chose to manifest himself as a human at that point in time and allowed himself to die. And, and being human at that point in time, he could not have survived this particular series of traumas. It's not possible. Um, Christ as God could have survived anything they threw at him. And, but he chose to be Christ, the human, at that point in time to die for our sins. And that given that, that self-limitation of remaining to be human, he died. He did not survive the event. I, uh, I'm profoundly impacted by it because I realized you know, the price that he paid was something I'm not, I would be, never be willing to do for probably anybody. It's very difficult for me to even sing songs about the cross, even in worship. Because I truly do understand what he paid, the price that he paid. Are you still joyful? You should be. If you're in Christ this morning, that what was just described, he did for us. He did for us. But here's, here's the even better news. If you're here this morning, I don't know your heart, and you're not in Christ. He did that for you. He did that for you as well. That is a video. It's, a, it's, a, well, it's an apologetics video. So they're asking this man, who is a doctor, um, common debatable questions. There, there's theories out there that Christ didn't die. There's actual religions who base their whole religion on Christ not dying on the cross because this is right here. This is why I titled this message, How Do You See the Tree? How you view the cross and the events surrounding the cross is literal life and death in your view. You live in Christ 
because you understand what happened at the cross and why it happened at the cross, or you die, never coming to the realization that Christ died for me. So they asked him questions. Well, could, could Christ have survived the cross? And he said, no. Various reasons, no. You, we can go outside of the Bible and just look at his, history. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected crucifixion. Nobody ever made it. If your sentence was crucifixion, you died. Now, you could have never made it to the cross because there were many who never made it past the scourging. They died. The fact is that no one was ever tortured by Rome on the tree and survived. Christ died. He died for us. He had to die for us. Every last drop of His precious blood was shed for us. That's why it was fitting we went to Isaiah. We're going to read because it's, it started with an apologetics. Who's going to believe what you know? And Isaiah 53, you can remain city, sit, uh, sit, sitting. Lord, help me. We have a lot to read. I'm going to read more than I, than I preach. This is the introduction to a three-part message. So uh, please, if you can, I know life gets in the way, but please plan to be here for the next three weeks if you can. Bring people if you can. Not because of who I am, not because of who this church is, but this is the literal gospel. Bring somebody. You've been praying for friends and family. You've been praying for this community. Invite them in. This is the message. This is what we've been working towards for over a year and a half. This is it. Christ's death, and we will see in chapter 16, His resurrection. It's the reason we're here. But it's fitting because the first verse of Isaiah 53 is, Who has believed our message? Do you believe this morning? How do you see the cross? Is it fiction? Is it fairy tale? Or is it truth? Is it reality? Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or Majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised and we did not esteem Him. Surely our grief He Himself bore and our sorrow He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord was cur- uh, caused 
the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By opposition and judgment, he was taken away. And as he his, as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, for the Lord was pleased to crush him. That's going to be important at week three. Putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, we will see it and be satisfied. That's important for today. But his knowledge, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for those transgressors. That's where we are today. How we view the cross solidifies how we view everything else in life. We are literally spiritually awakened by the events of the cross or you are hardened and never to see the events of the cross. And I use that word literally, literally, literally you are given eyes to see Christ on the cross for who He is and what He did or you are blind to spiritual goodness. The Bible says that if you do not come through Christ, you do not come to God. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to Me. No one comes to Me except He's drawn by the Father. No one gets to the Father lest they come to Me. That's what Christ said. It would have been so easy. So, so much better if Christ didn't have to die this way. That's what we want to think. Why would, why would God allow His Son to be so humiliated on a tree to die the worst of deaths? Because it shows exactly who we are outside of Christ. We deserve no quarter. We deserve no mercy. We deserve no grace. But yet we, we receive it because of what one man did on the tree. Isaiah, by the way, I didn't look when it was written, but it's thousands uh, with an S years before crucifixion is even a thing. This is prophetic. 
The Romans had only been crucifying people for about 300 years when they crucified Christ. They had perfected it, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing in the Old Testament. This, this, this was a new kind of torture. So let's not, let's not forget the spiritual side of this, that God in His providence said that His Son would die a death that Isaiah, when he was even writing it, didn't fully understand what he was writing. The Old Testament says, or the New Testament says, that the prophets of the Old Testament looked to their writings to try and understand what they were even saying because they didn't fully understand. They were saved by faith the same way we are saved by faith. But their faith was they believed the Word of God for things to come. Matter of fact, Hebrews 11 says that they are counted among the righteous because they believe not seeing and not fully understanding what was to come. We have a greater responsibility because we do understand. We do know what was to come. They died waiting on the Messiah. We live looking at the Messiah. How we view the cross solidifies how we view everything else. The cross it's our ultimate sign. You want a sign? Look at the cross. Christ rebuked the Pharisees because He was working great miracles, great signs. There was sickness being healed, blind seeing, lame walking, lepers being cleansed, food appearing out of nowhere, dead, literal dead people walking around. They were dead. And now here they are. And they said, if you show us a sign, we'll believe. Show us something. We'll see. We're looking at the different views of the cross. Today it's the view of the people at the cross. They're looking at this convicted blasphemer on the cross who said he was the Son of God, who's dying the worst of deaths. And they said, if you come down from the cross, we'll believe. You saved. You said you could save people. Save yourself. If you come down from that cross, we'll have no. We'll have to believe. See, tradition says that before the Messiah was to come, that I, uh, uh, Elijah was going to come. So when he says, which we'll see, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This this political group who were who's trying to blaspheme the blasphemer who's trying to right the wrongs that he's corrected changes his words. We'll, we'll look at all of this. Just trust me for now. And they said he calls for Elijah because he's supposed to be the Messiah. So he's calling for Elijah to come and help him. And they run and they get him some vinegar wine to try and prolong his torture. And, and they say, well, let's wait and see if Elijah comes. Because if Elijah comes, then he's really the Messiah. And we, we need to believe. By no one's standard was the cross a good way to prove this. It's our ultimate sign from heaven that God is real, that He hates sin, that His Word is true, and that He loves you and I. He loves this world. John 3.16 isn't just for a select few. God loves the world. He loves the world so much. He loves His creation that fell from Him, that forsook Him. He loves us so much that He gave His Son 
as a sacrifice, a Savior to the world. But there's some that don't see. There's some that don't believe. We have to believe. We have to have faith. By no one standard was the cross the right way to prove that God loved us. There's, we could think of hundreds of different ways that God could prove His love for us. It had to be this way. Our knowledge, our wisdom counts for nothing. God in His unlimited knowledge knew that there was no other way. It, it was this way. Here's the thoughts of the cross. If we could go back 2,000 years ago, we, and, and we look to the cross now and it's almost as if we're taken aback by it, that it, we've beautified it, we've made it not something that it's not, but we esteem it so high that we forget that it was the ultimate humiliation. That you were a curse to be on a tree. You were ultimately forsaken by God to be killed in this manner. The Romans held a so low a view of the cross. You say, well, wait, they, they crucified people. Yes, they did. The Romans held so low a view of the cross that it was never to be a means of punishment for their citizens. It was literally Roman law that the worst of the worst Roman citizen was not to be crucified. That's why we see Paul being beheaded. He's a Roman citizen. Crucifixion was off the table for him. It was a death not even suitable for animals. And whoever faced this death was viewed as the lowest of life. Not a human. Not even an animal worth putting to death. You were your own executioner on the cross. You died of asphyxiation. As the video said, you had to work for each breath and eventually you would become exhausted and you would stop picking yourself up and you could take breath in, but you could not exhale because your muscles were just so asphyxiated. You weren't even worth having, having another human being end your life. You, you, the weight of your own body literally killed you. You were your own executioner on the cross. And this could last a few hours, depending on your scourging, to a few days, to a week, depending on how healthy you was, and I use the quotations there, but how healthy you was when you were crucified. Not all crucifixions used nails. Sometimes you were, you were uh, tied to the tree and allowed for the beast of the field and the birds of the air to take care of you. That's the Roman view. The Jewish view held so high a view of their awaiting Messiah and so low a view of Jesus that when Pilate gave them the power of the sword to do with Jesus what they wished, they chose to have the curse of the cross be His end. The Romans hated the cross. The Jews hated the cross even more because it was the ultimate humiliation. But yet when given the chance, that's what Christ received. You remember Pilate asking them, what, what do you want me to do with the king of the Jews? And they said, crucify, crucify. 
Pilate was literally giving them the power of the sword. In other words, go stone your blasphemer like your law says and be done with it. This signified to all the Jews that Jesus was no Messiah. He would not even be able to rest in paradise. Listen, this is important. This is, this is out, you're dying outside the camp now. God's blessing has been removed from you. You're not the Messiah. You're not the Daniel son of man. You're not God. God has forsaken you. That was the view of the Jew. God would never let one of His chosen ones hang on a tree to become a curse. He wouldn't even be able to rest in paradise because He's outside the camp. The cross meant surely to the Jews that whoever hung from the tree was forsaken by God Himself. Jesus could not be who He said He was if God, His Father, If God was His Father, God would never allow Jesus to be made this low. This was the view of of the Jewish Messiah. He was a king. He's supposed to be a king. He's supposed to be a a, a military leader. He's supposed to be the one that rights the wrongs, and yet he's, He's being killed by the ones that He's supposed to conquer. No Messiah. God would never allow this to happen to the Messiah. To suffer this much, to die... In this humiliating way? First Corinthians 1, 18-24 says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. How important is the cross? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world thought, or through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, this is it. Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. So Paul, before we go any further, is saying you're looking for certain things. If you are a Jew, you're looking for a sign. If you are a Gentile, Show me something I don't know. Teach me something, O teacher, that I may add to my knowledge. And Paul says we could have preached a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And we could have won you over for this way and we could have won you over from that way. And I could have been this eloquent speaker and the Greek would flog to me and listen to me because I sounded really good. But if I don't preach Christ and Him crucified, you haven't received the truth. Because it's the power of God unto salvation by no other way. So Paul says, indeed, the Greeks look for signs and the or the Jews look for signs and the Greeks look for wisdom, but in other words, they're not looking for the right thing. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. Nobody liked the cross. 
Nobody liked the cross. To preach that you were worshiping a God who was crucified on a cross, thats it's an impossibility. It's impossible. What you're saying isn't true. But to those who are the called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That is to say that God can be weak. He can't. I want us to walk through the six hours of our Lord's crucifixion, looking at the cross through three, three viewpoints. Not today. Like I said, this is, this is a setup for our next few weeks. We find all three of these viewpoints present at the cross. Viewpoint number one that I'll introduce and we'll finish next week is the viewpoint of the people blaspheming a crucified blasphemer. Viewpoint number two is the viewpoint of Jesus, a preaching Savior on the tree. And viewpoint number three is the viewpoint of God, the divine one who imputes wrath on his son. That's a big one. Please be here. But just for a few moments, I want us to look at the mockers, both Jew and the Gentile. Turn to Mark 15. We left off in verse 16, and uh, we're going to jump around between verses 16 through 47 on the next couple messages, because this is, this is Christ and Him crucified and His death. But I want us to look at verse, let's read verse 16 through 21. The soldiers took Him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, And they called together the whole Roman cohort. That would be a tenth of a legion, roughly 600 soldiers. The whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him, kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him. And they led him out to be crucified. They pressed in the service of passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. We'll we'll preach on him when we see God's viewpoint. Then we have the crucifixion. And while He's on the cross, we have the mocking of the Gentiles. We have the crucifixion. And while He's on the cross, look at verse 29. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, 
He saves others. He cannot save Himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with Him were also insulting Him. We'll see a change in one. Then we have the sixth hour and darkness fell and that's for another message. A king of that day often wore purple. Purple was a sign of royalty. And a gilded wreath. So these are Gentiles. I want to look at the mockery of the Gentiles first because that's who come in, in Scripture first. They dressed him up as Caesar. We've all seen the, the pictures of Caesar or him depicted in movies. He has this gold leaf crown, a, a tiara, and, and he has a, a, a staff in his hand or a scepter in his hand, and, and he, he's a grayed and great fine linens and purple. He's, he's the head of the head. He's God, according to Rome. They dressed our Christ up in a purple rag and a crown of thorns mocking this common practice. They made him to be a mock king. It was common to greet Roman, the Roman emperor by crying, Hail Caesar! Ave Kaiser! The mockers twisted this in the hail king of the Jews. And at first they gave Jesus a reed to hold a stick and to hold as if he had a royal scepter. He, he was able to rule. He was able to judge. And then they grabbed that same reed out of his hand and beat him upon his head. Adding great insult to their already injured prisoner. They didn't have to do this, but they were playing with him. This wasn't a, a, a decree of Pilate. He was already scourged. He was already in the process of crucifixion. And then they made him to be a toy. They played with him. They, took out, they, they got rid of some steam with the man. He's going to die. Who cares? This was a very stressful situation for the Roman cohort. This was Passover. This was, this was a time of insurrection. This was a time of riot. This was a very high anxiety time for the Roman cohort. And you say, who cares? I do because they took it out on my Lord. They made him to be the butt of a joke. They made him to be their means of Release. They felt better beating our Lord. They felt better mocking God. They felt better bowing down before the One who will save them if they believe. And you say, well, that sounds horrible. You want to know where I am in this message? I'm the Gentile. Mocking my Lord because how many times did God make Himself known to me and I rejected Him? How many times, here's what's personal to me, how many times was I in a church service and I raised my hand and I said, I love you, God. Thinking of the sin that I'm going to do whenever I leave. 
How many times did I go to the altar and I bowed down because people were watching and it was the right thing to do and I bowed before my Lord knowing I don't care. Every time we do that, it's as if we're beating our Lord over the head. Driving the stake, driving the crown just deeper. He did that for me. He did that for you. The soldiers didn't care. Blasphemy of the Jews, they didn't care either. This was propaganda for them now. This was a means of defaming Jesus. He's on the tree. And as people walk by and they look at the Messiah, there's a crowd of people around him going, He ain't the one. That that he said he was, but he's not the not the one. This is propaganda is all this is. Jesus not only endures the mocking and humiliation at the hands of of pagans, but also at the hands of His very own people. Greek scholars say that the mocking in Mark 15 and 31 describes acting like silly children who love to mock one another. They were having fun with this as well. They had won. He's dying. It's just a matter of time now. This man's going to be dead and life can go back to life. It was bad enough that the Son of God came to earth and man murdered Him. But this was the most torturous way that was. Crucifixion didn't kill you fast. It was meant to kill you slowly. Romans had perfected this death. It was torture. Closest thing that we have in our modern time, and I'll use modern time, is a burning at the stake that we see in our martyrs. It's humiliating. It's torturous. They don't have to die that way. That's the way they die. Worst of all, sinful men enjoyed doing it. They, they enjoyed killing God. They were happy when they done this. That's why it's, are you joyful? You should be, but not like these. The joy of the Lord is our strength. They killed this man in their own strength, so they thought. It's precisely because he, he would not come down. Listen, they're saying just come down. Just come down from the cross and we'll believe. But it's precisely the reason that He stayed on the cross so that they would believe. They don't understand this. If Christ would have come down from the cross, if He would have called the legions of angels to come and annihilate those mocking Him, we wouldn't be here today. Christ endured the cross. He endured the cross. And here's what we're going to find out. This was the easy part. The wrath is coming. This is the first three hours on the tree. The next three hours, when darkness is on the land, and God is ever before Him pouring out the wrath that was deserving for us, 
That's the hard part. So hard that whenever he finishes, because he feels what we should feel, he endures what we should have endured. He cries out, not his cry, but a cry of us. Why have you forsaken me? He feels emptiness. Listen, though, as we finish this, he, he rose from the dead. We need to remember that. Jesus did something greater than come down from the cross. He died. He, he died and He got His rest. And then He rose on day three. Yet they did not believe even then. We'll see. But here's the thing. How many times has God, like I said, made Himself real to you and you did not believe? But now you do. If you're saved, then this is our story. I wish I could say that the first time God made Himself known to me, I, I jumped on that way and I, I've been going ever since. That's not me. I had several dozens of opportunities. I've had more opportunities, I feel, than most deserve. I don't deserve one. But listen, even the cross, the humiliation of the cross, Acts 6 and 7, we're going to end with this. The very same ones that are hurling insults at Him There'll be those that are saved at the cross that day. There'll be the thief on the tree who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's the centurion who's been with him since he was arrested in the garden. We'll see that when he dies in the way that he dies, he says, surely this man was the son of God. There'll be the Roman soldiers, the very ones who nailed him to the tree who come to faith, and even the religious leaders. Not all, but some. Look at Acts 6 and 7. The Word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The same ones who were saying, come down, Lord. Come down from the tree and we'll believe. They didn't believe that day. But they do because of what the man did on the tree. How do you see the cross? With all the people wagging their heads and you can stand and mocking our Lord. You have the mocking of the religious leaders. You have the mocking of the people passing by. You have the mocking and the blasphemy of the Gentiles. But we also need to see that even in the midst of that, there's still genuine believers there also. There's a disciple there where Christ looks as He's hanging on the cross and He says, Look, John, your mother. Look, mother, your son. His mother and Women who have followed Him from the beginning are there. Believe. Believe. 
Believe. You say, well, I don't know if I'm the chosen. Believe. Here's the thing about today in this hour that we live. You want to know who God is willing to save? All who come to Him in belief. Every single one. If you're here today and this has tore you up, good. I'm glad. Like Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. This is, a, this is the horribleness of our salvation. This is who we are. And if you've, if you've been saved, this is still the horribleness of, of who we are. If you don't know Christ in this way, you can. He bore your sins as well. And He died for you. You say, well, I've done too much. I've mocked Him. Yeah, me too. Same one who gave you this message. Well, I've done too much. I, I, I've done went too far. I thought that also. But I'm the one who preached this message. Well, I, 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 I'm just going to hold off. I'm just going to wait. Because maybe tomorrow will be a better day. Don't wait. Don't wait. Because here's the thing. He takes every single person that comes to Him, but it is only through the drawing of the Spirit that you are saved. You do, if He's dealing with you today, you can't go come to Him tomorrow. It's today. Today is the day of salvation. Well, people have thought I've been saved for years. You've been living a lie. But today can be the first day of truth. Lord, believe me, that was roaring in my head a 17 year old me in a youth meeting the son of a pastor <laughs> a Sunday school teacher evangelist hypocrite sinner blasphemer that was me he still received me though and those same people who I thought was going to make fun of me or be mad at me, whenever I got up, there was tears in their eyes too. Because you don't hide. You don't hide. God knows. These altars are open. Lord, as we look at Your death on the cross, Lord, help us to remember why you came. Help us to make it personal because it is personal. That yes, you died for the many, but you died for the one. You died for me. Lord, as we endeavor to do our best to see you as you truly are, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Lord, it is through You and You alone that any of us have been saved and any of us can be saved. Lord, work in us. We ask this in Your name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us. Please like and follow us for weekly episodes just like the one you heard tonight. You can find us on all podcast platforms or online at www.todascriptoraministries.com. 
See you next time and God bless.